Leo, why do you hate security? Yeah. Because it gets in my way, Rocco. That's why my password is password one. Password one. I'll never forget it. Way to be safe. Yeah. Well, see, see, the secret is to change the A to an at symbol. Okay. That uh, throws the hackers off. That you're way fancy there. Way fancy. Mm -hmm. They would never plug that into anything. And then when that came up on haveibeenpwned.com, I swapped the S's to dollar signs. Oh, yeah. Because mm. <laughs> that's pure money right there. Right. Heck yeah. Now we call you... Leo Dallasan Chavez. That's right, man. And that O, see, that one got hacked too. And then I just changed the O to a zero. Yes. Fixed it all up for another 30 this minutes. This Saturday, Leo Dallasan Chavez faces off with Mike Tyson's great grandnephew in the fight uh, of the weekend. That's it. Fight for your passwords. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. I thought it was Sunday. All coupons Sunday, welcome. Sunday. That Sunday's for the monster trucks. Oh, Saturday okay. is for the yeah. password battle. Yeah, Saturday is okay. password boxing We're, we're the opening show. How <laughs> awesome is that? <laughs> Coming up in this episode, we cover toxicity in the community, Mozilla and Firefox, printing in Linux, and that must-have app for every Flatpak user. Hello, and welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. I'm Rocco. I'm Joe. And I'm Leo. Hey, what y'all uh, been up to this week? Well, I got a fancy box, but mine's old. Yeah? What is this box? Check out that fancy one I got in my shoulder over there. What is this? That's, that's a 15-year-old Radeon, right? He had to be like all the other YouTubers. Why is there glitter on the box, Dan? And lights. <laughs> And, yeah, and blinking lights yeah. saying, point, look at me. Well, I'll tell you what that is. That's my new 5700 XT, and I've been gaming it up. What have you been playing, Dan? I've been playing this uh, game on uh, Steam. It's a, it's a new game. It's called Drag. And so it is a dirt racing game, and the graphics are pretty phenomenal. Have, uh, have you guys checked it out yet? Mm -mm. I have not. Is this a native game to Linux? That game? was my question. It is native on Linux, and, and it plays super smooth, oh, yeah. super okay. smooth. Hold on, looking it up now. It's called Drag. Yep, it's uh, it's a pretty good game. I'm I'm really impressed. I I I can't race for beans, but uh, oh, it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, I need a wheel in order to be good at racing. I'm terrible at racing games. I, I'm not a I'm not a wheel guy. Sorry. Maybe it's maybe it's a. I grew up on console, so you know. How, how do you drive your car? With a joystick? Well, it's fine, but I'm not driving 120 miles an hour through mud, <laughs> so it works fine. Oh, I'm just saying. Okay. Makes a difference. Yeah, it makes a so, difference. So, Joe, I think you're doing it wrong. I'm just saying. Yeah, once, yeah. you know, once the minivan hits, you know, 32, like the governor <laughs> kicks in, then I'm, you know, I'm right in my wheelhouse there. Uh, that's funny. But yeah, no wheel. No wheel. It, it plays fine on my Xbox controller. That's, that's all I've got. So it, it, it does play fine. 
Yeah, I use a Steam controller myself. Um, I just can't get past the fact that the Steam controller's trackpad is really good. So I, I use it every chance I get. And uh, the Bluetooth update made that fantastic. So it's just oh, nice. Bluetooth, easy peasy, make it go. Even games that probably should be played on the controller, like Rocket League, for example, when it was on Linux, I always play with a keyboard and mouse. Always. Really? I'm just so used to it that I just cannot get... I could never... You should have seen... I was terrible in Rocket League to begin with. You should have seen me when I had a controller. I mean, I was beyond... I couldn't even hit the ball. You really? know I mean? That's just the way it was. I mean, twice, I think, Michael Tunnell tried to convince me to play Rocket League with a controller. Yeah. Rocket League screams controller to me. Like... Yeah, yeah same, same here. here. Yeah. To most people, it does. But like, No Man's Sky or Minecraft, I have to have a keyboard and mouse. Like, yep. anytime I'm walking around or something like that, yeah. So that's interesting. I want to play you at Rocket League now. We'll have to do it on Windows then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh snap. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> epic killed that off. Sorry. Oh, yeah. epic. Yeah. You're so epic. So what, what kind of proprietary graphics driver do you have to install for this uh, 5700 XT? You know what? You don't. It's built into the kernel. Mm-mm-mm. Just plug and play, you say. <laughs> yep. That's a dig at you, Joe. What kind of frame rates are you getting on LXQT? Just uh, curious. <laughs> the same ones you get on Ubuntu. <laughs> By the way, I have that same card you have. And I have another RX 580. Yeah, but mm-hmm. which ones do you complain about all the time? It ain't that one. I, I don't complain about any of my beautiful cards. It's Remember the that distros one time we that ran choose Fedora? not to, you know, work with them. Wasn't there uh, one that you had on a laptop that you were complaining about, though? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. That 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 card works great on all distros that aren't named after hats. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no issues. If I don't know. Sombrero? Was that the distro we were working on? Sombrero, I think, I think it was. I think that's it, actually. Yeah. It was green sombrero. I think, I think you had yeah. the DNF install Maraca. D- and then, yeah, uh, something. Maraca. Sombrero the Explorer. Yeah. Fedora the Explorer. <laughs> Sombrero, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I love mine. Uh, I can't get enough of it, man. And yeah, Distro Hopping just is, is a breeze now that you guys are forcing me to do it. Just install it and it goes. I don't think you needed much forcing, dude. No, you're saying. right. Like, it was just right behind that veneer of, I'm totally staying right here. And then right? the first totally. time anybody asks me, hey, you want a Distro Hop? Yeah, let's go. Right. Yeah, it <laughs> took us, what, a minute and a half of convincing I think. Oh, yeah. 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 There was a lot of arm twisting, but yeah, not really. Right. No. Yeah. I was like, hey, you want to be on a podcast about distros? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Took a whole two and a half seconds. (laughs) In our first segment, we want to talk about a trend in the Linux community, and we want to take a, a moment and talk about that and give a few examples. Uh, toxicity in the Linux community, guys. So, as an example, maybe you've read the article about Ubuntu and Google teaming up, bringing uh, Flutter apps to Linux. Have you guys read that? Wait a minute. Are you telling me that there's toxicity in Linux? Well, there is. So there's a lot of controversy around this. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think uh, more bringing more apps to Linux uh, natively is a good thing. I think I think there's definitely a need for it. Well, I think the the toxicity that's in Linux right now is not just due to one article or one company. There is a whole line of people that line up 
to troll people, companies, whatever, in the Linux community. And Canonical takes the biggest hit most of the time. There are people lining up in droves to rail against every decision that they make. And the one thing that I just don't understand and can't fathom is you see the track record of Canonical and you see that all of the things that they have done for Linux and the community. And then when they make decisions to, you know, whether it be work with Google or work with Microsoft or do things to forward Linux, they take nothing but hate for it. And we were, we're not even going to get into the whole snap discussion. That's, that's its whole, that's a whole nother show right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It does seem weird though, that, um, you would take the efforts of moving something forward and it's turned into a negative. And it does seem that it's no matter, no matter which way they turn, you know, it's, uh, if they're working with Microsoft on a project, Canonical's work with Microsoft on WSL. If they're working on now Google, perhaps. Now, these are big players, and they also are big headline grabbers, these two monsters in the industry. So it's easy to see why Microsoft and Google would want to work with Canonical, because Canonical does probably have, right, the largest user base uh, from a desktop Linux standpoint, and, and probably, you know, pretty heavy in the server uh, space as well. I don't know. But we, you see how these are kind of natural companies to work together. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that I would care if it was like, you know, Razor Scooter working with BMX bike all of a sudden. And they're like, oh, outrage. Oh, they're going to foil the scooter industry. Like it's, you know, it's kind of this thing. But there is this longstanding animosity that it appears between some of these companies and for past grievances or perceived grievances, because I'm still not sure all of them are real, but it does seem to be there and the toxicity seems to be real. So what does it take to move on? I mean, I think a lot of these companies have, have made changes in that they're more open and trying to work together. What do we have to do to move, move it forward? I don't think you do move it forward. I mean, I, I think you can have a healthier discussion about it, but I don't think you get rid of the trolls, not when you have open forums. There's no way outside of just outright banning people are you going to stop that kind of conversation. And I don't even know that we should, but I think we should be able to, I don't know, see the merit in those kinds of criticisms because I think what you what you have in the Linux community are these diehard freedom fighters. And, I mean, I, that might be giving them a little too much credit. I don't know. But when they see somebody back in 2008 that had no affiliation or at least no perceivable affiliation with the big dogs, Google and Microsoft, and then you see them incrementally adding in this or that little bit, you can you might be able to see how somebody that was staunchly for freedom and freedom only can start to perceive that as a slight against them. Maybe not personally, but against people that all they want is freedom and a focus on privacy. 
just because Microsoft has a track record of, I guess, I mean, you could just bring up the whole telemetry thing. You know, I don't necessarily think that that's a huge, horrible thing. You do need telemetry in a lot of ways. And Google, well, I mean, Google. So when you marry with these, then you might be able to see where, where that's coming from. But to be fair, I think the people that you're talking about, the people that are really concerned about freedom and and keeping Linux open and free, I think those people are not the people that are going to be out there railing and trolling in the forums and all of this other stuff. I think it's the people that talk the loudest are, are not genuine when it comes to open source and free software. I think the people that are trolling Canonical hate Canonical because it's the name. It's the company. It has nothing to do with, and and maybe we in this conversation would be binding the two together somehow. Uh, they kind of overlap. Yeah, I think there is an overlap. So this conversation isn't going to be about everybody, but there are those detractors, those people that just want to cause division. And I just don't understand that. Like, I just don't understand what that benefits us in the community. Well, I mean, if, if it's just about the people that are trying to, to divide, and I mean, they, they get their enjoyment out of trolling, like out of right. watching people take that and run with that and see those points parroted later on, that's their enjoyment. And it doesn't matter if it's Canonical or Microsoft or Google or any other company out there, if they can go and cause division, then, well, that's what they're going to do. But again... You don't get rid of those people unless you close off the forums in some way by banning trolls like that. But to your point, I do think that we need those people. I think we need those people to keep, you know, like if, okay, so if a company goes unchecked for a long time, they can like lean towards things maybe they shouldn't be doing or maybe lose focus. I think we do need that balance of people uh, at least keeping them on the edge, it's just, it goes way too far. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it does go too far at times, but you're, you're also right in, I think it's kept canonical and, and Ubuntu in check at certain times too. Uh, you know, they've, they've reversed a few decisions here and there because Amazon. they listen to the community. Yep. That, that Amazon button is no longer there. That's right. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how, um, I was a, huge still am huge uh nba fan and uh growing up in la big lakers fan so my natural rivals boston celtics and then as i was getting a little older michael jordan comes on the scene and he's chicago bull and i remember just hating that guy like you know as a you know in a childish kind of way but as a, like a teenager just like oh but not because he was a bad guy or because he was a bad player because he's probably the greatest player but because he wasn't on my team and you know same same way happened a little bit later down the road here comes lebron james he comes to the lakers and he was one of those polarizing characters one of the greatest to ever play well now he's a laker well i tell you what all these laker fans all of a sudden were like yeah he's the son of the city blah 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 but i hated his guts six months ago right so i still i do feel like there's some of that at play right People who come to Linux sometimes feel like they've they've got their team, their new team, and and we're anti at what all the other guys are about. We're we're about this thing, and maybe that's maybe they put that in on Linux. Maybe they put that on 
canonical itself. You know, maybe somebody puts that on Fedora, maybe somebody puts that on whatever you're into, Mint, right? And they have their little group and they say, I oh, feel attacked. we're us because we're not them, right? This is what makes yep. us us. And so when you start seeing things working together and you're like, wait, 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 I came here to get away from that. And, and now here it comes at me or it's coming into my little space. I think that threatens people sometimes and they worry perhaps, you know, appropriately or maybe, you know, inappropriately. But that does feed some of this is they're just afraid that, oh, uh, Microsoft is going to buy, you know, what, what do we keep hearing? Oh, when's Microsoft going to buy oh, Canonical? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. okay, guys, like whatever, like. Uh, or, you know, now with Google, right? Because Google has a history of gobbling up companies and spitting them out and there's nothing left. So there could be some of that fear involved as well. A little bit of, you know, just unease about some of these relationships. Do you think that Microsoft will buy Canonical? <sighs> I don't. The way you said it before, I kind of well, feel like... I don't. I, I don't think so. I think they would if they could. I, I actually, I would say... I think it's up to Canonical, right? I think anybody wanting to get into this space permanently, Canonical is a gem, right? Has a, has a large user base, a great following, a solidly run company. It appears to have a, a really good environment that the employees are in. I think, yeah, I think they would want to. Now, that's not up to them, right? Somebody has to want to sell something. Yep. And, and I think it's more up to Canonical than it is up to Microsoft. The optics of that, I think, would be so bad, it would turn it toxic. It, it, would, it would turn the brand toxic. I don't know that that would even work. Even if it were, you know, for the right price and under the, the right bylaws and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know what that would do. Would that damage the brand? Well, what would it take for... Leo, you mentioned Microsoft earlier and their track record. That track record was serious a few years ago. It's slowly gone by the wayside in the last few years. They have made leaps and bounds to try to commit to open source, to change philosophy within the company. I'm not a Microsoft fanboy, but I do see that it's there that they're trying what would it take for Microsoft, what would it take for them to do in order to convince people that they are serious? I'd say more time. I mean, obviously, they are investing pretty heavily in, well, Canonical and the partnership and moving that forward and WSL and now WSL2. It's obvious that they have a, a, dog, in this, uh, a dog in this fight now. But I, I think... People just need time to adjust to this new normal because it really wasn't that long ago that Steve Ballmer was triple E-ing everybody, right? Embrace, extend, extinguish. And I'm not saying that they're going to do that or anything like that. I don't know. A lot of people in open source, I don't know, can be on the older side. I mean, I, I was there the whole time and I, I, w I wouldn't necessarily consider myself young at that time. Uh, so, and I imagine a lot of you guys were around at that point. So we've we've lived through a couple of different eras of Microsoft. So maybe just more time. Yeah, it's tough. It's uh, changing a whole culture. And I don't think you can do that overnight. There's no 180 turn on that. And 
get it where you need to be. I think it has to be a slow, gradual thing. So I agree with you. I think the time is what is needed. And uh, I think you'll see them more in open source than they have been for sure. Well, Dan, you mentioned culture and you mentioned changing it. And you're not just, you know, you're changing culture. You have, you're changing people yes. basically. Right. And there are still people in Microsoft that don't really care about Linux. Like there are still people that are there that you're trying to work against and that maybe still kind of throw out them, them jabs at, at Linux or That'll the Linux never community go away. or whatever. That will never go away. You, you just try to change the majority and the main movement of the company rather than every single person that works there. And I think we're starting to see that. The rest will come. It'll happen. Is it the same thing to not care about Linux and to hate Linux? No, they're, they're, they're separate. They're separate, right? So just because somebody's focus... If I got hired at Microsoft to work on Microsoft products and work on Windows, well, why should, why should I care about Linux? This is my job. I work at Microsoft to develop Microsoft things and, and do this. Now, there is a section of the company, obviously, that cares about open source and is pushing mm -hmm. forward these things, but it doesn't mean everybody does. So I'm fine if there's people who don't care about it. I think it's a different thing that, you know, the whole triple E thing. And I mean, Balmer's been gone, what, six, seven years now? Like, that's that's some time. And you, they've got new oh, leadership yeah. and that, you know, all that stuff comes top down. Right. I think any positives we contribute to any open source program, right. Any open source, whether it's a distro, whether it's software, it's top down. Right. You look at Canonical and you look at Mark, you look at, you know, these different uh, companies and it's a top down approach in that they, they kind of dictate the culture. So I think it can change. I think it has changed. I, we've seen it. Well, that was the big fear with IBM and Red Hat right. as well. The whole exactly. culture shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And and remember the uproar? Have you heard about oh, it? Oh, it's all it's all coming down. Have you heard? Have yeah, you heard about nothing. it? Right. <laughs> but the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Uh, you don't hear about you don't hear about Rel anymore about the whole IBM thing. Not much because IBM was like ah. So I I do think if Microsoft were to get in that situation where they it, they did purchase and yes, Canonical would suffer right out of the gate from that. People would leave mass droves. Can you certain, imagine certain the people. articles written? Right. But if they did this IBM hands-off approach where it was like, look, yes, we own you. We're just going to pump money into you and you're going to do your thing. And everybody could see that happening. Maybe not. You know, I think you would lose a lot of a lot, a lot of people that wouldn't give it that time that. Oh, yeah. That would be needed to see that actually happen. What if it happens in 10 years? So now we're 10 more years of. Microsoft hearts Linux. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, yeah if it yeah. happened today, but let's put some more time, right? Let, let's say five years or 10 years and things continue. WSL becomes even more of a thing. And who knows, maybe Windows desktop, you know, operating system just completely revamps itself anyways. And it becomes maybe, you know, Linux centric or something or more of the kernel comes in, whatever. Like, we don't know. But to just reject it outright, I think is it limits what's possible as well. Well, it also goes into not just Google or Microsoft. It also goes into distros. Leo, you, you had brought up the other day about distro wars. Yep. Now I, th this is a, this is a weird subject because 
I am, and it feels like one of the few people that think we don't have enough. I feel like every day I read an article about why we need less distros or why we need fewer distros. I think we need more. The reason I tend to agree with the people that say that we need fewer is because of the tribalism that comes with, you know, hanging your hat on a distro and really tying yourself to that. That's where the distro wars come from. We were talking about it before where, you know, you just you just sling stuff over the wall and because you want your distro to be the one that comes out on top. And I mean, you don't care which distro it hits so long as it doesn't hit your distro. There's just that tribalism that that feeds on itself and and people that just want theirs to win. You're talking about it with the Lakers. You just hate to hate because it's he's not on your team. Mm hmm. The tribalism to me is a little weird because as somebody that's on the inside of developing one of these distros, we don't have the same tribalism that the people using the distro has. Right. We're quite content, generally speaking, working with other distros, working to create solutions that we can share across the board on all of Linux, and you just don't see it. For example, if Fedora has a release, you, you'll see Ubuntu developers saying, great, good job, guys. You, you got another release because they know how much work is put into that and it needs to be celebrated. I, I think so. I think I think uh, that might be why we distro hop so much, huh? Yeah. I got I to gotta go check out the new shiny that these guys over here are doing. Well, it seems to me that the tribalism in the distros comes from... People who, you know, like you, you had mentioned, Joe, about the hating the other team, but not just, it's not hate. It's just, they almost feel like the one they pick mm -hmm. has to be the best. Right. So it's not just about hating something. It's about, you have to see my distro and how it works and how it does things and how I am able to customize it the way it looks to be right now. And it's so beautiful. When... You can pretty much do that with every single distro out there. And I, the, the whole distro wars just, it just kills me because I have no idea where that comes from. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you're right on there. It's that the, we love our team, right? I, I picked, this is such a personal thing. They make it such it's, a personal yes. thing. And I'm like, you know, it's, but I, I get it. They, especially those that put a lot of effort into it and maybe they work in the community you see it in some of these communities that have like a really rich following and there's guys that are and, and what guys and girls that are in there just really devoting time and effort into helping new people and and having conversations and maybe even offering you know thoughts to the developers and and what what you know whatnot so they they kind of get a little defensive because it's like well this is my yard you know you you go stay in your yard uh, yeah i see you got some new flowers over there yeah i see you miss johnson but like these are my roses and my roses are the best, right? We live on the same street. We're on like Linux Avenue, but like every house has an address and everybody's working on their own yard and tending it. And, you know, and then you walk by, you drive by some distros and you're like, oh, wow, somebody's having a yard sale or, you know, because they haven't cut the grass in two months or something. So there's there's this little bit of tribalism and we've labeled it such. But yeah, the the. 
there's a little bit of the badge thing too, right? We all know the, the saying like, oh, by the way, I read ours. You know, like, like we get it. You know, it's uh, I, I'm smarter and better than you because I did this from scratch or I just live in my mom's basement and have a lot of time. Like, I don't, you know, there's, there's one of those, it could be any of that, but there's, it's fine to be proud of what you're doing and, and all of that. But uh, yeah, to the point where it, it starts degrading others, considering others less than you. I think that's human frailty. I think that's human. That's a human fault. Ego. Ego. It yeah, is. Yeah. It's ego. I think that's an imperfection. I got to thinking what we need is a distro, right? Right. One more. Add it to the pile. What we need is a distro. No, we don't. Stop. We don't need that, any more. That takes the the best bits, right? Like, because everybody... Here, here's the way that I look at distros. I look at them as little tiny incubators for good ideas. And what ends up happening is you want to take these good ideas and cobble them into something that is like meta good, right? Well, you can't do that because everybody's thought on what good is is different. And I never thought I would say this, but I think this is probably why Arch kind of gets it right. Because you have all of the software in the AUR. Mm, yeah, I know. But coming from me, I guess. But the AUR, it just has it all. You just, you just go and grab what you want and kind of cobble together what you think makes it the best. So you don't need a new distro. You just eh, maybe try out Manjaro or something. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, Joe, you mentioned about uh, this, the, the whole personal decision thing and people with the badge and all that stuff. I, I, I truly believe that's only probably a small percentage of the actual people that are putting time and effort into this. So, you know, you have all of these people put, and you can name every single project down the line, and there are so many hardworking people putting time and effort into it. And I'm seeing guys, you know, like, we'll just say, look at Dan. Dan puts a ton of time and effort into his work, and yet you don't see him out there being that way. Bill, it's the same way, puts a ton of time into all kinds of different stuff. Most of the people out there are putting the time and effort in. They're not acting like that. It's a very small percentage, but, you know, the uh, loudest of people Squeaky may be wheel. a small percentage. Yep. yep. It, it doesn't take much to be positive. I mean, I really think it takes a lot more effort to be negative because you have to go and find something that you don't like, and then you have to go and just take that out and on, on somebody in some forum somewhere. I think a lot of the people that are out there trolling, saying negative things, and just really making a big production out of it, they're really far and few, but they're loud. It's the squeaky wheel syndrome. And for some reason... It's going to garner a lot of upvotes and it's going to garner a lot of likes because it's controversial, not because it's right. I think we are trying to be the other end of that. We're trying to be, I don't know, I guess you could call it the force for good. But, you know, as I said before, it, it does not take a lot to be positive about what you see in other communities adjacent to yours. So for our next topic, I wanted to talk about Mozilla and Firefox together as a company, 
as open source software. They have been the, the bastion of open source for many years, and they have put themselves out there as this company that is for freedom and open source. And they have had a trajectory that, in my opinion, has been going downhill. And we're going to talk about a couple examples, a couple articles that we found, and we're probably not all going to agree of no, the we are trajectory not. of Firefox. And you know why we're not? Because WebRender just fixed everything for me. So <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. Conversation it. over. Turning Firefox point. is, is 100%. Okay, so WebRender fixed everything for you, Leo, but uh, why, wasn't, why isn't it not on by default? Now, that is a good question, and I wish it were. That is something that they could improve on. But, you know, I can tell you why it's not on by default, because it doesn't work as good as it does in Windows. And I hate that I have to say that, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I can put Windows on my laptop and the web renders on and I can scroll and it's all smooth. But if I turn it on in Linux, uh, no, it does not. If I get to the point where uh, we end up in the situation where I'm at 90% CPU usage or whatever and I decide to crack open Firefox, it chokes. So I just cannot have it on on my laptop. But on my desktop, it's fantastic. I, I cannot sing the praises enough. So to answer your question, because it runs pretty horribly on some machines but let me ask you this like it, it's it's a concern to me that it runs better on windows than it does on linux because like i said firefox started out mozilla started out as this company that was championing 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 was yeah that they were all for linux and open source and that was one of the main things that people jumped on on Linux was Firefox. They they just grabbed right a hold of it because it was awesome. And yet you have WebRender that doesn't run as well on Linux as it does Windows. You have their new VPN service that's coming out. Oh, you had to bring up the VPN, didn't you? You guys fired that up yet? You got that running? <clears throat> no, oh. Joe. You know why? Because it doesn't run on Linux yet. God. How can it run on Windows mm. and and... Android and iOS and not on Linux. For the same reason WebRender does. Because 99% of Firefox users are not on Linux. Right. You're and, right. And, and unfortunately, I think that's just something that we have to take on the chin. We have to wait for drivers. We have to wait for features. We have to wait for... Well, we don't even have some of the proprietary software. This is, I think this is just an artifact of being on the other, other operating system. I get that. I understand that, that most of their users are on Windows, and I get that. But what gets me is Firefox is not NVIDIA. Firefox is supposed to be the guy fighting for people like Linux and open source. So that's where I think they should be putting Linux first, second, you know, at least on time. Hey, look. I mean, come on. We're second, right? They just... <laughs> Turned on WebRender. Yay. <laughs> no, I mean, we're on there. Ten, ten years later? Ah, Seven years later? Ish. I don't know. It's That's a long time, small, right? Small detail. Small. No, that, not even important. Can you, can you run a business being loyal to Linux first? Like, honestly, if we looked at the percentage of users and I've got X amount of talent and I've got X amount of resources and I want to hit my massive 
the biggest, I want to make the biggest bang I can make. Am I going to target Linux first? Well, you're probably not going to target Linux first because obviously your main users are on Windows. But like I said, this is not, this is you're balancing a business with what you're putting yourself there, out there as. Like you're putting yourself out there as this company fighting for open source, fighting for freedom. Can you still be open source and free on, like, that's well, still you what can they're be, but you 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 end you end up making business decisions maybe because you have to, that aren't in line with what you're telling people that you your values are. I, I think that's the bottom line for Firefox though. They can't just exist in a vacuum where they can make whatever decision they want to make and still be profitable enough to zero out like a nonprofit should, right? They can't run in the negative year over year over year. And without the support of Google, it's really hard for them to do that, as we saw with the VPN. You got to target the people that are going to buy your services first. And it's unfortunate because every single Linux distro bundles what browser? Yeah, Firefox. it's Firefox. Every single time. And it's because it's open Epiphany. source, I would imagine, right? right? Oh. And it's good enough. It, it really is good, though. Yeah. Especially when you put it up against the other competition, not talking about Chrome or Chromium, but when you put it up against the other competition that's out there, I do think Firefox is, is probably the number two as far as quality. As far as numbers go, number two is Safari. Is that right? Maybe. I think it's I think it's Chrome and its derivatives and then Safari and then uh, down there it's Firefox. <laughs> I think the what was it nine percent? Something like that? So, honestly, I'd be kind of surprised. Four? <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's yeah. it's way down. Yeah, it was nine like way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, the, the numbers have shifted. Chromium is dominating in every single category that you would do anything on the web. I mean, look at Electron, it ain't based on Firefox. Right. Oh, it is nine. Sorry. You're right. You're oh, right, is Rocco. it? Oh, it's eight. Oh, wow. Sorry. It's eight. 8.4. It's still so slipping, totally though, wrong. I think. It, well, no, I mean, I think that goes to the point, right? It's slipping. It's not where it was. Five years ago, it was 18%. Yeah. So, so Joe, as a business, what do you do to fix that? You're, how do you make that balance of standing for freedom, open source, and then still be profitable enough to to be able to be in business? Well, you, you have to make those decisions. So I, I have run a business. I want to have and provide my customers and support them and take care of them. But if I can't play my, pay my employees, who am I supporting and what am I taking care of? So I, I have to get, I have to have money coming in in order to provide the services that I want to choose to provide. And if I want to put Linux first, that's great. But if that's not where I'm going to make any money, then I can only do that when it's possible as a business owner. Otherwise, I just go out of business, potentially, potentially, and then I have nothing to offer. So, you know, it's, it's, you got to survive. So we're looking at their numbers and they're not pretty. So no, they're not. Uh, so and, they're in survival mode. I mean, right. so they're trying to bring more and more services. You know, we talked about the VPN. What about Firefox Send? That's another thing that they they 
recently shut down. They tried to bring it, you know, and, and I have a lot of hope for it, but I don't know. It's just, it's such a niche thing that bad actors seized a hold of. I mean. So is Firefox in like actually gone, like as in shut down or is it just a temporary thing? They tell us they're going to bring it back, but I mean, when is that going to happen? I mean, especially with all the downsizing that's taken place, you know, how, how are they going to be able to bring that back? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough problem to crack, right? I mean, when you're, when you're in a situation where you're just allowing anybody to upload files to your service and you're going to, you're going to have to dedicate a lot of CPU time to finding out whether or not that's a virus or not. And I guess they weren't doing that or they weren't doing that in a good enough fashion because enough stuff got through that, they, yeah, they just took it down and said, to be safe, we'll just turn this off for a bit. And it couldn't have been cheap either because there, there had to be a huge back-end storage to store all the files, even though it's temporary. And they said they didn't, but it still has to be a large amount of storage to, to pay for. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does have to be. So would they be actively scanning everything? Is that... Well, that's what I, I mean, mean about the, the, you need a lot of CPU time for that. But I mean, I don't know if they actually were. Like does Google Drive actively scan files you upload? If I upload a zipped folder, did, are they looking for a virus? I don't think so. Well, no, no, they, they are because when you download a file that is massively large, it's like, hey, we can't scan this. Do you want oh, to download you're it right. anyway? Yeah. Okay. I think maybe gig, one gigabyte is a threshold or something like that. It's, it's a fairly large file. It just feels like a reach of a service to provide, I guess. Were they charging for that? They did have a service where you could upload bigger files uh, if you paid. So the free the free version was, it was still pretty big. I want to say like one gig, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't remember what it was. But uh, if, you, if you had bigger files, you could pay for it and then you could upload big files. So they got to do something. So they've tried different services like trying partnerships with, with ad-free subscriptions I don't think they went anywhere. I don't know. I think they, it's not just money that is their problem. It's it's security as well. Like, you know, there's articles out there about how they do collect telemetry and they are able to put that together with your IP. Not that they do. They store it on separate servers. But I guess the idea is that it can point right back to you and your IP and your data and i think that that's something that that they as the again freedom bastion should not be doing okay we all know google chrome is going to collect data right oh yeah i put fake stuff yeah. in there all the time yeah okay just to have fun so yeah when you look at firefox do you think the same no but they are in some ways doing some of the same things and that's what's concerning to me right i'm not too terribly worried about that kind of stuff mostly because the types of telemetry that they're collecting are like how many tabs you have open and did when you reopened Firefox, did it successfully open up all the tabs that you had left over from the time that it crashed or something like that. So, I mean, but this is the same argument that I guess Microsoft would put out there, right? I mean, it's it's just non-personal identifiable information, right? But I mean, so I can see why that is a concern. Here's the deal. You can't opt out of Microsoft stuff. But you can opt out of Firefox stuff. So if your tinfoil hat is, in, is on as tight as mine, then you just flip off the switch. And you can do this in mobile. You can do this on desktop. But see, here's some of the telemetry that they include, right? How long does it take Firefox to start? 
How long does it take Firefox to load a web page? How much memory is Firefox consuming? How frequently do the Firefox, Firefox cycle collector and garbage collector run? And was your session successfully restored when you last launched Firefox? Right. Now, they're all taglines of what they collect, but in order to answer those questions, you're going to have to collect some pretty personable, identifiable information in order to answer those questions. Well, so the, the argument from the Firefox guys was basically that you can't tie it back to a user just with that information alone. And I tend, I'm inclined to believe them on that. What the article that we're talking about was getting at was that to ask them to delete that information, I think they said it like it deletes after 30 days or something like that, but if you want them to delete it before then, you have to send a web request in through the browser, which has to be done with an IP address, which then can be coupled with the data to give you some idea of maybe a person or not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you've got to spend a whole lot of time cobbling that information together. Not that it's bad. Not that you can't do it. Just that I don't know how much we should actually worry about that. And this is coming from a guy that wears a tinfoil hat. Okay. So are you concerned with lean plum at all? Now, again, turn it off. Just turn it off. <laughs> well, lean plum is in Firefox on iOS and Android, I believe. And they collect a lot of data. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything. Now that is, now we're getting into scary territory. Yeah. I think if you're concerned at all with security, if, if you're downloading a browser and the first thing on your mind is, I want to have utmost privacy, utmost security, you're probably not doing that with Firefox in the first place. You're probably getting Tor browser or something a, a little further out there. But... If you're like me and you care about security, you care about privacy, first thing you do when you install a new browser is go and turn things off. And that is exactly what I do on every fresh installation of Linux. And one of the things that I notice, and I don't know if it's unique to mine, maybe you guys can help me out with this, but the telemetry is off on the desktop anyway for me by default. I did not go in, on my most recent install of Linux Mint 20, I did not go in and turn off telemetry, but it was off by default on the desktop. Can't say that for Windows, can't say that for uh, my iPhone, because it was on, on my phone. But, I mean, you know, settings, flick the switch, and you're in a better spot. But, you know, that, that's beside the point, I think. It's on by default in some cases. Yep. So, do you think this information that they're pulling, is this truly for functionality of the app or is there you know are they using this to make money the stuff that's pulled from firefox not not what was it lean plum whatever they were lean plum yeah. is a separate advertising company those guys i man i don't know i i, I wouldn't trust those guys farther than i could throw them but the, the the telemetry that firefox is pulling themselves and using themselves i mean to me it sounds like a, a dev's dream like, I need to know these things to make things better so that, you know, it starts up, you know, 0.2 seconds faster next time. But the Lean Plum stuff, uh, man, that was, yeah. But see, shouldn't it be, if, I guess what I'm saying is I, I get, I hear all the time about how great Firefox is and secure Firefox is. Isn't it concerning at all that they would even consider 
you know, partnering with a company like Leanplum? Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, I do not like that at all, one bit. It should be an opt-in, not opt-out. What, what did they get out of the Lean Plum, Plum deal? Did we... Uh... I am not sure. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, not because I think Mozilla's bad, but I just go back to the point earlier. I think they're... They got it. They need to make money. <laughs> they need yeah. to be able to pay these people. And all of the, the development that goes into, look at, I mean, if we look at the last few years, right? Or just this year, uh, in February, I think they laid off 70. We just heard about this 250 that got laid off. Companies that are growing do not lay off people typically. And I know this last one, weren't they working on a whole nother engine built in rust, right? To, to Yeah. For, for I mean, yeah. That's probably key development for them that they were working on. That's gone, like gone. Um, maybe it's going to still use some pieces of it, but I still think there's this big elephant in the room. If we look back all the way back, even from when, you know, we went from Netscape to, to Mozilla, right? At, at some point, who were they paying for search or who was, who, how were they making their money? They were making their yeah. money by, by getting paid to feature somebody in their search. And it was, for the most part, it's been Google. They tried a little bit with Yahoo, but it's been Google. And it's been $350 million a year, $400 million a year, $450 million a year. And estimates that that's like 90% of their revenue. When 90% of your revenue comes from your competitor in the browser space, like, yeah. what are we doing? I mean, it, I get it. But see, that to me wasn't so concerning, Joe, because that was an easy split, easy flip, switch, boom, gone. You know, like it was the default search. I could change that. Well, it's not, I'm not even worried about the search results. I'm just saying as a business, if 90% yep. of your eggs are in one basket, you are one, one rough tweet from Mozilla saying something about Google to be out of business, right? Nah, like Google you, you won't are, ever stop. I don't think Google will stop. It's it's Mozilla is or Firefox is Google Chrome's antitrust shield. Yes, they that need is them. it. They'll never I let know. them die. They need them, but that's it. Do you see? They just re they just re upped, and this uh, you know the numbers are somewhere between four hundred and four hundred fifty million. Like, would you would you go get a job at Mozilla today? <laughs> like like if, they, they, if, if, they if came I was to you, Dan, and options. they were like they were like Dan, you know what we really want to do. We want this LXQT front end on our, our website and you're the guy and we, we just, we want to mimic everything about that desktop and we want to do this. We want you. Are you, are you taking that job? I'd be super cautious. I, I, I'd worry, I'd worry that, yeah, where's that going to go? I mean, how long is that going to last? As long as Google wants it to. Yeah. Yeah. What happens right? when that dries up? Yeah. I, I just, I, I just think that's. That's their biggest issue. And, I, and and it looks like that's the hurdle they're trying to overcome, right? We looked at all these services. They're trying to create services that are going to generate revenue. And they're, it looks like they're trying to do it in a privacy-respecting way, right? They haven't gone the, the route of Google. Like, they haven't abandoned everything and just gone, you know what? Hey, we're selling every piece They've of data we can get our, steps. our hand yeah. on. But I think what they're seeing is to be in that space and be a viable company, there's only a couple of ways to make money. My company, our company builds buildings. 
I can't all of a sudden go say, let's build pools. Like it just doesn't work. There's only a few ways that we can create our revenue with the tools we have. And I think that's kind of where they're at. They're in this tough spot to where their competitor pays the bills to keep them there. So their antitrust stuff doesn't go away. And it's just going to limit. They're, they're, they're just limited. I just, I don't know. I don't see a bright future for them. I know they're limited, but the, like I said at the beginning, the, the trajectory of Firefox and Mozilla as a company seems to be just heading downhill. And, you know, they had made a few months back to have a DNS, you know, a switch for DNS to be uh, secure, private, encrypted, and all this stuff. And then they go and they make Comcast a trusted recursive resolver program committee thing like uh, are you kidding me like come on that how can you go Comcast? and say come on how can you say we want to, to we want to encrypt your data so that it's safe and it's your data and then put comcast in there as a trusted user basically to be able to see your data but comcast like, I mean, hearts firefox oh, i know yeah. but but see this this is what i'm saying like the there okay i get the business part of it i get that you have to be able to make money to stay in business. But it seems to me that the scale is tipping the opposite direction from freedom open source. And you know what? Their user base is down to whatever it is, 8, 8 8.4 right now. Those The user base that they have is a lot of it to me would be the Linux people. Like we may not be a lot. I know that they're 99% of their Windows, you know, their users are Windows users, but the committed people, the people that are using it on Windows, to me, are not the people that are committed to a program or a, a, a movement or anything like that. They are just using a program. The committed people are the ones that are running Linux because they already understand this type of move, movement, this type of freedom open source movement. They're just a couple of things on this list that I just can't bring myself to be okay with. And that's the lean plumb thing and the Comcast thing. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I like, I like DNS over HTTPS, but I don't know. That's not going to protect you, man, because I know it, it's not. If, if you're trying, if you're trying to, you know, prevent your ISP from knowing where you're going, this is not the way to do it. They have the IP address that you're, that you're going to. And I mean, with few exceptions that usually leads to just one place. It's just like the VPN. I know that it's not, for, oh, um, now I'm completely secure because I got a VPN. Yeah. It's just one step. Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm not a fan. I mean, I like DNS over HTTPS, but not a fan. I would have Comcast happily given them my money for the VPN. I mean, if, if it was it a secure Linux. setup, I'd much rather give it to them than PIA or any of these other guys. If it was a, a viable working thing, it's not available on Linux, but they have some ideas. I, I would love to look at their, their, their balance sheet. Maybe I wouldn't. You can see how much their CEO makes and how much their CFO makes. And it's a very large percentage of that 90%, which is always a scary thing. I know those people carry the burden, but when you're laying people off, if you have a thousand employees and you're laying people off, it's there's a reason. You're not bringing in enough. And they don't have the, 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 the tie-in like Google does, right? What brings everybody to Chrome? Oh, all my life, yeah, people can blow, can just plug their whole life into Chrome, right? Docs, Sheets, all, like whatever you want to do. That 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 ship sailed. Well, it, it helps that Google.com is probably the most traveled to website ever. And the only message you see there is, A, 
Search for your thing. B, the best browser in the world is Chrome. Go get it. Yep. We will pray for you, Mozilla. I'm rooting for you, man. The idea of this talk, this discussion, was not to bash Mozilla. It was just to open up some thought-provoking discussion about the trajectory of where Mozilla is headed and how we feel about it. So we got an email, guys, about a, someone had a question about printers. Basically, what is the state of printing in Linux and what are we personally using for our printers? Uh, so I thought eh, this might be a nice little quick moment to do a little bit of history on that ever-loving cups. We all love cups. This is going to be exciting. It's going to just, yeah, everybody, I can tell. hold on to your seats. History me away, Jeff. on printing. <laughs> so, 1997, Michael Sweet starts development of Cups, common Unix printing system. Public beta hits the world in 1999, quickly adopted by most Linux distros. March 2002, dun da da Apple comes in, gimme, 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 and starts to adopt it officially. And by February 2007, Apple hires Michael Sweet and purchases the CUPS source code. Also, November 2012, big moment in the history of CUPS. They have to start calling it CUPS because they can't use Unix anymore due to trademark restrictions. So it is no longer the common Unix printing system. It is just CUPS. So that is the history exciting history of Linux printing. But the point of that, we owe a lot of our success these days to a little company called Apple continuing to develop the CUPS printing protocol. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Apple hearts Linux? Send your hate mail to... (laughs) I'm sure it was all on accident, but because it was an open source project ahead of time, they left it that way. (laughs) All right, so what are you guys doing for printing? How, why do you hate trees, first of all? But then second, what are you doing for printing? I've found good luck with HP printers. I think uh, they're probably one of the best supported. You know, some of the all-in-ones, you, you don't get all the functions to work quite right sometimes. You know, the scanning or the copying or whatever. That doesn't always work real well, but the printing almost always works very well with the HPs. The other one that I found that worked pretty well for me is I have a Xerox laser here at home, and uh, that just works. I don't even have to install any drivers these days. It just it just kind of works out of the box, which is great. At work, though, we've got a Dell, which I think is a rebranded brother. I'm not really sure. It's rebranded something. I couldn't even get the source code for the, for the drivers on that. I had to take an RPM and run it through Alien and make a Deb. It was Lord, awful. Man. That's just yeah, Dell stop. shenanigans, man. Just That's stop. what they do. Don't print. Yeah. So I don't print a lot. I make PDFs. Well, I've always stuck with HP. I mean, it's just because you ask around in the Linux community, and most of the time you're going to hear, hey, HP works great. Now, I do hear, and I think it's weird because I hear some people who say Brothers works great in Linux, and then other people say Brothers is a nightmare to get running in Linux. So Luckily, I've never tried it, brothers, so I have no no game in that. But uh, yeah, HP for me. I, I have trouble, like Dan said, with the scanning. Sometimes it doesn't work out of the box. Sometimes it's hard to get working at all, depending on where you're at. But 
for the most part, HP. Do the HPs have a software uh, package for Linux? Is that hip lip? Yep. Yeah, HP lip. Okay. All right. I just like calling it hip lip because it feels so hip. I I, I use hip lip at work. Uh, it works just fine. It's a uh, it's a this massive, huge, multi-function, all the colors, CMYK, whatever. It, and it works great. Uh, I don't usually have any issues with it. If I do have issues with it, it's during the install. Like it'll find it all over the IP address or IPP or uh, JetDirect, I think, is what it sees it as. Uh, if I can get past that step, it'll never skip a beat after that. It'll just work and work and work and work. Uh, here at home, I have a brother and yeah, yeah, the dreaded brother, but it works just fine. As a matter of fact, the only time I have trouble with the printer is with the printer itself. Like I need to go reboot the printer. So the printer itself uh, has a couple of quirks, but it has nothing to do with Linux. And it might also have to do with the fact that uh, it's not a Wi-Fi printer, but I made it a Wi-Fi printer. I bought this little $20 Wi-Fi dongle thing that you plug into the Ethernet port. And I don't know, it was some random thing. The instructions were literally in Chinese. No clue what was that what that was about. <laughs> but I That's plugged awesome. it in. Uh, all I could tell was that you logged into it with this IP address. And I'm like, cool. I get I get a screen. I can figure Came it out. Came with from its here. own botnet. That, Sweet. Yeah, basically. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. honestly. <laughs> I've scanned my network, man. <laughs> That's yeah, the only sure. reason I know. Uh, I've done I've done a little bit of uh, investigation there because it that thought occurred to me, so I had to go investigate. But uh, seems like it's okay. It's it's just a dumb little Wi-Fi thing. It's what it does. But yeah, awesome. honestly, that's probably what the what the issues come down to. But either way, brother works okay for me. All right, so we got uh, HP uh, gets a vote and. Uh, Hip lip. It sounds like, as Dan said, it kind of, sort of, almost always works. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> yep. Uh, I've got three Canon network printers at the office. I do not print. If I print something, I, it's a legal document and not like something serious is happening. I, I detest printing. That's why we have email. I'll digitally sign something. I try not to print anything. However, for this, I did test all those Canon printers because when I plug them into my Ubuntu... <laughs> It says, hey, printer, 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 printer. It finds every printer on the network. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they actually work. So I did test pages to all of them. I also printed a document. Uh, hurt my heart to print that document, but I did test them. They worked great. I've never installed any software. I didn't add the printers. I just went in and they were there. So it added them automatically off of the network. And I had good success. And those are Canon um, 6100, MF6100 and MF8150s. Anyways, printing has come a long way. I remember not being able to print at all. And it sounds yep. like, to at least some extent, printers tend to be a problem on, I don't care what you're running, Windows, Mac, printers consistently are like IT's, the bane of existence, oh, trying to yes. fix a printer or get it running. So, sounds like we're having some success. We hope we've answered our uh, listeners' question about printers. That's what we're using. It also answered another question, Joe. Oh, what was that? Joe the Moth likes to kill trees for this podcast. No, I don't like to kill trees. It hurt <laughs> but you do heart. it anyway. Maybe it was synthetic paper. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I maybe I maybe I three D printed the paper and put it in the paper tray. I don't know. <laughs> Which probably killed a lot of other things with the plastic. <laughs> it's not your granddad's green bar anymore. It's not. It's twenty twenty. Why are we printing? Stop printing. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. We recently had some issues with our email, but we think we have them resolved now. If you recently sent us a message, please feel free to send it again. 
you can send your questions and feedback to contact at linuxuserspace.show. The Linux community has some fantastic members, and we want to make sure to highlight that. In our podcast showcase for this episode, we have This Week in Linux from Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. This Week in Linux is a weekly news show that covers the latest news in the world of Linux. I know you guys have listened and even been on Michael's live stream back when he used to do them to troll him a little, but what do you all think? I used to be on the live stream all the time, and I used to love trolling Michael, but, you know, he's always late, so I decided to stop coming up. Mm. But I do listen to the podcast. Man, rough crowd. (laughs) Michael, I support you. I bought a stool (laughs) t-shirt. Right? Your source for Linux GNU's. So in all seriousness, I kind of give Michael a hard time all the time, but the guy puts a ton of time and a ton of effort into putting all of that show together, you know, not on top of Destination Linux and, and everything that he's doing there, but there is so much work. You yeah. you guys know putting these articles in and getting all of this is a ton of work, and his show has pretty much everything you want to know that's happening in the Linux world. He really nowadays. does. Yeah, very. I, I don't know where he gets it all. It's it's just amazing. Definitely a must listen. I agree. Agreed. If you like what you hear on this show, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash Linux Please follow us on Twitter at Linux to get all the latest announcements for this show and highlights for things that impact your user space. We also have a Telegram group, and it's still kind of new. Please join us over at linuxuserspace.show slash telegram to continue the conversation. Watch out for Shieldy, though. If you don't mash the button after you join, Shieldy will boot you before you, you get to join the fun. He's on a rampage. Shieldy oh, is there, no there's joke. There's just so many people have been just mashed by Shieldy. Like, look, the number's going up, <laughs> boot. <laughs> All you got to do is click the button, bro. Click the button. Click just it. click the button. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast at iTunes or your favorite podcast application and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can always get more information at our website, linuxuserspace.show. This is App Focus, where we focus on the app. And this time around, I wanted to talk a little bit about Flat Seal. It has saved my bacon at least two times. <laughs> More than that, but uh, two times that I can really remember that I felt like, uh, yeah, I, Flat Seal has become uh, one of my must have apps after that. Anyway, what is it? Flat Seal is a permissions editor that is infinitely more digestible than the arcane commands that Flatpak requires you to run to make changes. If it weren't for the magic of tab completion, I'd have lost what remains of my sanity. You should care because Flatpak is showing up in more and more distributions. I know those of you that are running Pop! OS, you guys deal with Flatpak all the time. Over here in the Mint world, more Flatpak. I think in LXQT, not so much Flatpak. More snappy over there. But if you do decide to install Flatpak, FlatSeal is going to help out with that. If you've ever heard me talk about sandboxed apps, you know that my pet peeve is that ugly cursor, right? It's the X11 mm-hmm. cursor, right? With that, every time you try to hover over something that's a link, it's like, hey, go left. And I'm like, what? Yep. Yeah, no, I hate that. <laughs> And this goes double if you like to have custom cursors uh, in any way. Flat Seal, I have figured out a way, and I'm sure I'm like way late to the party, but I have figured out a way to make this work 
in Flatpak now. Here's what you do. If you install custom cursors, you just need to tell Flatpak where to look to do that, to, to see those particular cursors and it will load them up for you. So in Flat Seal, here's what you do. So open up Flat Seal, find the app that is the offending app in the left-hand side, click on it. In the right-hand side, file system section. Press the little plus folder, and then you can add in the directory that it lives in, which is typically dot icons in your home folder. Stick a colon RO. It'll be in the show notes. That way it's a little easier to understand what I'm talking about. But this will give that flat pack the ability to look into that folder and use that cursor. So when you move in, move out, that cursor still there. The other issue that I ran into is a while back. I think Mumble's fixed it by now. But when you hit the record button on Mumble, it will just record everybody's audio. You can do it one big track or you can do multi-track. But it didn't matter what I chose uh, a few months ago because what ended up happening was I hit record, recorded an entire session. And then when I closed it, no files. That's what? fantastic. I, I, where did my files go? I found out through Flat Seal, by the way, that... Mumble did not have permission to my home folder, so it could not write to where I was telling it to write. So again, this is fixed now. You don't have to go do this, but um, what I ended up doing was pretty much the same fix for the .icons folder. I created a folder in my home folder called mumble-recordings, and I added that into that file system section and gave it, instead of RO for read-only, I gave it RW for read and write. So I probably could have just given it write, but still, either way, read and write, that way it can write files to that directory but man that saved my bacon probably for about a good month i think after that it probably got fixed but i never uh, i never ran into the issue again and on this new installation that i've got i don't have to deal with it so it seems like it's fixed now one thing that i'm waiting on in flat seal is the ability to get more granular control so i'm looking at you zoom if you're in a situation where you want to let zoom have access to your microphone but not your camera. Well, there's no way to do that in Flat Seal just yet. You can still do it in Flatpak. I've got a couple of commands in the show notes that will show you how to do this, but real quick, it's like Flatpak permission dash set devices camera us.zoom.zoom no. Yeah. I know. That rolls off the you. tongue. Oh, uh, yeah, I know, right? Hold yeah, on. I totally yeah, I, got I that. totally lost everybody at that point. But but that that's what I'm that's that's the whole point of Flat Seal. You don't got to know any of that. If you know that your app needs this permission, you can just go into Flat Seal, pick the app, flip the toggle, you're done. That's pretty much it. I mean, those commands might as well be magic spells for security conscious users that just want a toggle. So for those, Flat Seal. Give it a try. Do you guys use it? Yeah, I don't use it now, but I've been gaining a few flat packs here and there so i think i'm going to try it if you need to make any adjustments that's where it really comes in handy yeah i installed it while you were talking looks nice. great nice i installed it uh, the other day and there are so many different settings in here right I, i'm surprised that it allows you to change all of these types of settings for the flat packs. Yes. So that's great. And the, the beauty of all of this, uh, all the sandbox stuff is that you can change all this stuff. It's just, there's not an easy way to do it. You have to know the commands and both snap and flat pack behave this way where you've got to go in and give it a little tweak here and there. But the, the fact that flat seal exists and make it makes it easy is a real 
boon to anybody that uses flat packs. And I blame Eric Adams, by the way, for this. He put this on my radar months ago, and I've I've just been using it ever since. Can you install it on Mint and enable Snap? <laughs> nope, that's not how you do it. Oh, but I do have okay. the command to do that. All right, I just I just wanted. <laughs> you got to get your dig in, don't you? I'll put that in the show notes too. Watch. Leo, you said it doesn't work with the webcam. You said you can't enable the webcam. So there, there's a thing in there where, where it's like um, you have to enable all the devices if you yes. want the webcam to work. And this is where that, that command I gave uh, really comes in handy because that toggle has to be on. But if you want, say, the microphone to be off or the camera to be off, you just want more granular privacy settings, Flat Seal doesn't go that far down for you. So okay. if you want mic but no camera, you have to go into the command line and say, all right, here's no camera for this app, no camera. Right. Almost oh, there, 90%. It's all devices right there. Yep, I see Yeah, it. it's either all devices or no devices. If you want more than that, it's command line only right now. But you now. can en- enable jack, right? Is that what I see? So I've, I haven't tested that option, mm. but jack may be treated differently than pulse. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to play with this. Yes, yes. You guys yeah. won't be okay, able to hear me next week. So that's a yes on you, sweet. Yep, I'm playing. I'm going to try it. So we had an email last episode about asking us to announce what distro we were going to check out so that they could follow along. And, you know, Joe was saying how this is going to create so much extra work for us to do this, but... We decided that we outvoted him and we are going to announce our next distro and that is going to be Manjaro. So it's going to be any Manjaro environment that you want, desktop environment. So it could be XFCE, KDE, GNOME, but you can follow along with us, whether that's in the Telegram group, whether that's sending us emails and letting us know how you're making out. And we're going to do Manjaro for two weeks and we're going to come back next episode and talk about thank you everybody for listening and for your support of the show we hope you enjoyed the format of this episode please feel free to reach out on telegram and let us know what you think where can we find you guys on the internet you can find me at big daddy linux you can find me at Jojo Fett. I'm at Leo Chavez. And I'm at KC2BEZ. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. You dirty, dirty, non-snap users. You want to write it down? No, I want to think about it for a second. Think about it for as long as you want. Time's ticking. (laughs) (laughs) Wake up! Grab a brush, put a little makeup! (laughs) Demonetized again. Why'd you leave the keys up on the table? We want to do... Toxicity! But we're going to fight those loud voices. We're going to be the force for positivity. We built this city. (laughs) We built this city. Rock and roll.
We built this city on. Come on, guys. Oh, Rock and roll. Hanging me out. It's because you're killing me. All right, Dan. Are you uh, ready? I'm going to give it a go. Joe's going to okay, knock do it. it down. That's okay, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. It was really good. It was a really nice thing you said earlier. Yeah, you lie. <laughs> <laughs> It was good. I just we like we paused ten minutes for you to put six words hey. together. It was fine. It was good. You said it great. I just was waiting for this. Like, wait, I was like, wait, oh, Dan that's wasn't it. Dan. It's good. Dan wasn't he the guy that said it only needs to be one or two yeah, sentences? No, he told good. me it was good. So and then he's going to rip on you because you I'm put one or two sentences together. I, just, I mean, you know, I, just, I don't understand. Like, like, he's not Joe Lamont. It's that's yeah, right. It's perfect. You guys he said he it doesn't right. take what other people say and twist it around a little bit and make it sound like he said it. But really, we know Rocco said that. It's succinct. <laughs> is, is that how you say your last name? Lamoth. Lamoth. Okay. That's right. You've been right, saying sorry. it wrong for I don't know a long time. It's fine. Been holding it wrong. Lamoth. That's okay. It's because I'm oh. humble. Just ask me. It's the E that messes me it up. Is. If you drop the E, then it would be Lamont. I know. It's French Canadians, man. They don't know how to do nothing. <laughs> know, There's a I'm, CH in front of my name. It's not an SH, man, but I still get Chavez all the Chavez. time. Chavez. Right. Yes, there's no sh in there. There's not. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Chavez. Chavez. <laughs> that actually, yeah. Chavez. Chavez. You can send your questions and feedback to contact at linuxuserspace.show. Do I need to redo that? They should have just printed it and mailed it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Email no, wasn't working. Uh, Marco USPS told me to bring it up. Come on now. No, no that was great. It's just ironic. <laughs> you know, hate to get all technical and everything. Oh, you love to get all technical and everything. Stop it. It's about all I can do. Come on. <laughs> love it. Love every minute of it. Stop it. That's all I got. It's enough, Dan. It's enough. Jeez, you guys keep making this hard. I got to write stuff down. I know, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like work, dude. <laughs> I did that for 10 hours today. And the bus wheels are fresh. Throwing me under the bus. <laughs>